Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. Today I've got a really great interview coming. Uh, Jan Witkowski, a medical student. Uh, we're going to talk about a 3D printed liver. Um, not exactly that, but we'll, we'll get into the details of it. But Jan, how are you doing? Hi, great. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Yeah, I recently saw an article about um, what you've been working on, so I wanted to contact you and, and find out right away. So, you know, tell folks uh, first just a little bit about your background and what you're doing right now and how you came to work on this project. Absolutely. So, as you said, I'm currently an MD student at the Jagiellonian University Medical College in Krakow, in Poland. And I've been working for recent months on implementing 3D printing in medicine. And that's the idea that started really back in 2015 when I read some articles on 3D printing that was primarily uh, introduced in maxillofacial surgery, in orthopedic surgery. And I thought that uh, it would be great to implement it also in more complex procedures, such as liver surgery. And I met some great surgeons at our hospital who were also interested in that. But our major limitation was the great cost that come with use of 3D printers. So we had to figure out the way to create low-cost solutions. And that's when the project started. And as you mentioned, we had recently a publication on creating those models. And uh, it is ac actually like a technical note that uh, describes our technique that is currently the most cost-effective technique of preparing those models uh, worldwide. And uh, we've been creating those models for several recent months. And actually, I've just got a new liver right by myself because we have a new surgery coming up this Friday. And uh, we are creating those models as we go for uh, patients they, that require extensive uh, visualization because those are some cases that uh, are very complex. And surgeons need to have something extra to see not only the standard to the uh, two-dimensional computed tomography scans, so well, let's, what we've um, been doing is. Well, let me back yeah, up sorry. one second. So to be clear, I wish I wish you were, but you're not printing an organ itself, but you're printing a mock-up of one, like a three-dimensional actual model of the liver. That's that's what you're doing, right? Yes, that's correct. And uh, I just like to clarify that issue because it's a question that gets asked often. And people uh, think uh, if we are able to print a uh, real liver, if we are able to print a real liver tissue. However, no one in the world is able to do that on a large scale. There are some first uh, research, there are first, some first studies, but the only first results that come in are about 3D printing a very low, very small height of tissue. So we are talking about 3D printing, let's say one centimeter of liver tissue, and uh, that survives for only a few weeks. So we are years, years, uh, we need m several more years to even try to print uh, liver tissue, not to talk about uh, even um, trying to transplant that liver 
into human body. Right. Uh, that's definitely possible in the future, but we are looking at next 10 to 20 years. So currently, uh, what we can do with the 3D printing is to create uh, models that are uh, scaled one-to-one, -one, so they are real-sized. We create those uh, liver models exactly as they look in the patient. And um, why is it so important to create those models? Because many people don't really realize uh, why do we really make those models if we already have like computed tomography scans and other types of medical imaging. Mm. So the thing is that you don't really see the every vessel. You can't really imagine that in your head, in your head how everything is located compared compared to every other structure. So when we have some complex laparoscopic procedures like uh, liver resections, where you have to be very careful when you're resecting liver tissue because you don't want to resect too much of a healthy liver tissue. Right. You have to be prepared which part of the liver exactly you have to resect. And you have to be very careful about all the vessels that you have in the liver. So our surgeons are really happy with those models because during the surgery, they can say at an exact time at which point in the liver they are. So they can say okay. to each other like, Let's be careful right now because we have a really large vessel in just about two centimeters, so don't want to cut too deep, and we need to be careful. So they can prepare before the surgery, and also it can guide them through the surgery itself. Let me ask you a quick question. When, um, when someone's working on the liver, for instance, where is the model? Is it it's in the room? Are they, um, are they drilling on it or cutting it in the same way? Is there like a robot so, that's following the the surgeon's movement so that the fake liver is being cut at the same time, or is it not that sophisticated yet? Uh, that is uh, our goal for the future, but currently what we've done is uh, the model is actually created from the outside uh, from this, of the silicone. So it's a uh, jelly-like model that you can squeeze in hand. We are trying to make it... Uh, when we touch it, we want it to feel like a real liver. Mm. We are not uh, there yet, but we are still working with the properties of silicone. So we want surgeons to feel, feel like they are touching the real liver. And uh, we are talking about uh, laparoscopic procedures. So surgeons during the procedure, they can't really touch the liver with their hand. Uh, during the open operations, they could do that. And they could actually feel where the tumor is with their hand. But okay. when they are doing a robotic surgery, the laparoscopic surgery, they cannot do that. So what can do? What they can do is they can take the liver model and they can touch it during the operation. They can see every structure inside. So yes, we have those models inside the operating theater. We have those models before when they prepare for the surgery. We also take those models, which is a very recent thing. We also take those models and go to patients and we talk with patients about the surgery, we talk with patients about their disease. Uh, it's our um, new part of the research project, which is, uh, which is trying to evaluate whether those models help our patients to understand their disease and to get their informed consent. Okay, okay. So it's, it's not just for the surgeon, it's also for the patient, so they can see literally what's going on with themselves and yeah, what what have you noticed um, from the patient's perspective? How do they feel differently or react differently once they see this model? Uh, I was actually uh, very scared when we first did that because 
I thought that patients were going to be scared when they see mm. their tumors. Yes. Because those tumors are usually very large and people don't realize how big they are. So they often uh, only hear that you, you have a tumor that is five centimeters by four centimeters or something like that. They may be shown a computed tomography scan, but they don't realize where exactly it is. Patients sometimes don't even know what a liver is shaped, how a liver is shaped, where exactly it is located. But when we first took the model to the patient, uh, I was thrilled because the patient was so excited he started taking photos of it. He started asking questions. <laughs> really? He wanted to know where exactly the liver is. Hmm. And I was really happy because the patient, uh, it appeared that patients uh, liked the model even more than the surgeons, which was uh, actually a great thing. And right now uh, we think that if we don't have major clinical significant discoveries with those models, because we are still evaluating whether those models actually help uh, surgeons with performing surgery. So we are looking at different parameters such as blood loss or uh, complications after the surgery. And we are still evaluating that. But even if we don't find any significant differences, we still believe that those models can be very helpful in the patient education part because we are uh, going into the way of personalized medicine and to right. the medicine that is crafted for every patient. So when we have those models uh, and the patient sees that it's his own liver, it's like it looks exactly like his own liver and he can see his vessels, he can see where the tumor is exactly. We can tell him at which part the surgery is going to start, how it's going to proceed, and we can show on the models what's going what's gonna to get, what can happen bad, what can be the complications of the procedure. We know that their informed consent is really good because they know everything they should know about the procedure. Interesting. And then, so how many of these have you made and how many surgeries have they been used in? Or is it too early yet? Uh, so we've created several of those models uh, and th those surgeries are not everyday procedures. Uh, it is only, as I mentioned, for uh, rare cases, for more complex cases. So we've been doing those models for uh, approximately five months now. And mm -hmm. we have one or two procedures like that every month. Um, but we are looking to expand the project for new uh, areas, maybe look for some collaborations uh, with uh, other centers that, make, that do those surgeries. And we are looking uh, into creating models of different organs, but uh, the livers were our main idea and we've made it so far that we want to continue with that. But to have some uh, quantitative results, we'll have to wait a few more months to really say if they are doing any difference for surgeons. But uh, from the reports of our surgeons, they want those models. They ask me if they, the model is going to be ready before the procedure. So it shows me that those models are really helpful to them if they still want to do them. And uh, yeah. they really use them every time before the procedure when they have a procedure on Friday and they have uh, their team meeting on Thursday. They will take the model, they will watch it, they can uh, have it all the, way with, uh, all, the, all the day with them. And uh, on Friday, they take it into operating room and they can guide the, themselves through the operations with them. Why not, why liver? Why not uh, pick gallbladders, like something that's really common so that you can get a lot of doctors using your model right away 
and get feedback on, you know, how to make improvements. So the major point that made me choose liver was that I met some great surgeons that were really interested in that. It's really hard to find surgeons who are interested in modern technologies, which really? is also a great problem when, when yeah, absolutely. And it is a great problem when implementing new technologies. Uh, surgery is, and medicine actually, is a very conservative field. Mm. So, uh, so doctors, surgeons are really scared to try something new if they don't know how it's going to impact the, the treatment process. Uh, fortunately, uh, our surgical team that is working with me on the project is uh, open-minded with the idea and they like the early results. And I can see how other surgeons from different departments react when they hear about early results. So mm -hmm. when, when they see the model, then they start to get interested. Oh, okay. People heard about 3D training and they heard that it is possible to use it in medicine, but only if they see that it can be used, only if, if they see a real model uh, made on case of the real patient, only then they can understand how important it may be to implement it. And we've had a several, several departments asked, uh, asked us in uh, recent weeks to make those models for them. Uh, we have many surgeons and as you said, uh, we could make something very easy like um, orthopedic surgery, which is really simple from the technical side of point of view uh, to create um, bone models. But we also wanted to do something that wasn't really done before, that wasn't really researched that much before, right. creating uh, models for complex structures like liver, where you have to show not only the uh, structure from the outside, how the liver is shaped, but you also have to visualize what's inside it. So you have to visualize all the vessels, you have to visualize the tumor. You may want to show uh, the ducts uh, in, inside. and uh, we it wasn't really possible to do with low cost approach before, and we fortunately managed to create one of uh, low cost methods ourselves. And uh, we are looking forward to making those models in the future, and hopefully other departments worldwide. I had some people from different countries contact me and say that they would like to try create those models right. in their uh, centers. Because it is, it was really a limiting factor, and still, when you talk to the surgeons and they talk, uh, some of them would love to implement 3D printing in their clinics, but they tell, well, the machines often cost to up to one million dollars, and they can't really afford it. And if we wanted to do models the old way, the old way uh, made the models of liver cost up to four thousand dollars, and with our approach, we are creating those livers for. Hundred fifty, a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's what so I was going to say. That's major... like uh, that's a huge breakthrough. Let's let's talk about now the mechanics of it. So, how do you? What do you you use? What like a CT scan or what? How do you create your model and what are the steps involved in making it? Okay, so the first the first step is computed tomography, the CT scan, and it is a routine scan. So we don't need any extra type of medical imaging. The patient has uh, his or her CT scan done a few weeks before the surgery. We take that CT scan and we use some segmentation algorithms. Those algorithms let us to create a virtual model first of those internal structures. So we can make a virtual model of 
every structure that you can see on a CT scan. So if we want to visualize vessels that are seen on CT scan, we can make a virtual model of it. And after we have all virtual models of every structure we want, we do some processing that prepares it for printing. Uh, and uh, when I talk about processing, I mean smoothing, dividing it into different parts because 3D printing, um, desktop 3D printers have really limited build size. So you can't really print huge parts and sometimes you have to divide them into multiple parts. And uh, we have to simulate uh, somehow the process of creating those models from multiple parts. Mm. And uh, we often make uh, six or seven parts to print because we also use different colored filaments. We have vessels, uh, hepatic veins, for example, printed in blue. And if we want to print different veins, such as portal vein, we print it in pink. And uh, we can print the tumor in green. So we have to print it in a different uh, print jobs. And we prepare a few of them. And it is the um, most time-consuming part of the process because uh, the segmentation, the preparing from CT scans, preparing those virtual models, it's not, uh, doesn't take that long. Let's say it's a few hours. It depends on how complicated the uh, anatomy is. But the printing, we have to unfortunately wait for the printing for one or two days to print all the parts, which is the most time-consuming part of the whole process. And after we have all the parts printed, we create sort of a scaffold, something like a mold okay. from those printed parts, and we print it and we pour in the silicone. It is a transparent silicone that is often used to protect some electrical parts. Mm -hmm. And we chose it because it is the, um, the most low cost silicone that was also transparent. And it was also somehow mimic mimicking the touch of the liver. So it was uh, not that hard. We wanted a silicone that was also a little soft that you can squeeze it and feel what's inside. So um, at the end, we have a silicone parenchyma of the model of the liver, and inside you have all those printed vessels. We have printed two more. So it's not only 3D printing. We are merging 3D printing with some silicone casting. And uh, previously, you, you, have, you could use 3D printing of transparent resins, but using silicones gives you even more transparency. And using silicone right now is, in my opinion, the best way to show the transparency in some of the models. And it is also way more cost-effective than using resins for printing transparency models. So why are you able to do it for $150 when everyone else, it cost them $4,000? What what's right. the key so, things that allowed you to make it so much cheaper? Uh, the most important part is the type of printers we are using. The most popular uh, printers that were used before are so-called polyjet printers. Those are huge machines that cost from $250,000 up to millions of dollars. And uh, subsequently, all the models are extremely expensive as well. And those printers use resins to print. So the advantage with those printers is that you don't have to print the liver in multiple parts as we do that. You can just prepare the model, you press print, and you have the, the model of liver in, like, in one part. Okay. So that is the advantage over our method. However, 
their method also is, uh, is time consuming. It's not like you could take the extremely expensive printer and print the liver model in two hours. That's just not possible. So no matter what method you use, you will still have to wait a few days to create that model. And with our approach, we did not use the resins. We used the most standard 3D printer right now. It's the, you could take a look at all the desktop printers that start from several hundred dollars up to several thousand dollars, which is significantly cheaper than those polyjet model, than those polyjet printers. And we use uh, PLA filaments. It is a poly a lactic acid, which is a standard uh, filament for printing. Uh, that filament is rolled in the spools, which is uh, being heated up to 110 Celsius degrees, and it is being melted. So you print one layer over the other of, of uh, melted plastic. Mm. And uh, with printing that melted plastic, you create all sorts of three-dimensional models, such as those vessels, such as uh, all sorts of other anatomical structures. And uh, we thought about using silicone that no one before used before to create transparency in those models. Of course, it's not, uh, it's not that new to use silicone in creating transparent models. However, no one before uh, thought of creating those scaffolds, those molds, and filling them up with silicone. So that's definitely our advantage. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hmm. So what, what's your plan for the next uh, six months or year? Where do you want to take this, and what, what's your goal? With the, liver, uh, pro with the liver project, we want to see uh, over next few patients whether we'll have any uh, sort of clinical significant results. As I said before, we need several more patients to say whether those models actually help uh, our surgeons to prepare for the surgery and whether those models change anything in the treatment process. We also are running at the same time the patient education part uh, where we evaluate the patient's reactions to that. Mm -hmm. And we would also like to start another part of the project, which is a medical education for students. Because the, when they are um, taught anatomy, they, it is all usually done on cadavers. So That's true. they take a cadaver and they, sh and they show the liver. But the problem with that is uh, usually those uh, real human uh, anatomy models are very, uh, are very used, are not really uh, new, so you can't really see all the structure. Well, you know what's, you know what's interesting uh, is... Um a living person's liver and a cadaver's liver, I wonder how different they are. It'd be interesting to see, you know, let's say you're a med student, how cool would it be to get a scan and 3D print your own liver and you learn anatomy by learning your own liver, literally. And again, I wonder how much truer okay. it would be for a live person versus a dead person, you know? Oh, that, that, that is actually a great idea, and that's definitely something we would like to do. Maybe not uh, like routinely, but uh, as a fun part of the project, we could take some of the students and make them print uh, their own uh, liver, as you said. And also the thing with our 3D printing models is that when you take a cadaver, you can see the, all the vessels inside. Because the liver in a human body, of course, is not transparent, so you can't see every vessel inside. Right. When when you print the 3D model, you can have the liver transparent if you want, so you can see everything inside from every angle, and you can see every structure as you'd like to see it. And it is 
at the exact same size, same size as it is in a real human body. So we don't lose any uh, dimensions of those anatomy structures. And any the, um, any uh, anecdotal comments from the, the few surgeons that have used your models so far? Like, you know, I know you don't have specific clinical results yet, but what's the feedback of the surgeons themselves? Do they say, like, I really felt like I was able to do a better job, or, you know, what do they say? Uh, yes, so w what I found um, at the beginning, what I found uh, not weird but different, I didn't expect that, is that the surgeons told me that they love that, that, that they can touch the model. They, when they have like a physical touch of uh, some kind of model, so they can better understand the anatomy. I couldn't understand it at the beginning because I thought that there's no difference be between uh, typical computed tomography scans or like own virtual rendering and the 3D printing model. And I, I wasn't really so sure whether those 3D printing models were going to be uh, that useful. But when I first shown those models to some of the uh, surgeons, some of the professors, they said that it's, it is so great that they can touch the, the liver. It is so great that the models are physical and they want to continue doing that because when they take the liver, when, when they rotate it in their hands and when, when they can uh, see it from every angle, it's a different game than it was before. And uh, really, those surgeons are not really good with uh, an, an anecdotes, so I don't have any funny stories about uh, using those models. However, they are really satisfied. And what I said before, they want to continue doing that, and that is the best feedback for me right now. Because if they didn't really like it, they would say that I, we don't need that. Because if they found that it is not something worth a hundred or a hundred fifty dollars, they would just say that we don't need that. We can use our standard computer tomography. We can use our standard uh, virtual rendering, and we don't really need those three D printed models. But if they still need that after several months, if they still still want to do that, and we if, when we have uh, new surgeons, new departments calling us and asking out us about creating those models. It is a great feedback, and I see that we can expand, and we have uh, departments of vascular surgery contacting us and uh, cardiac surgery. And we've been starting those projects recently, uh, but it is still very early to talk about, and uh, those uh, projects will be run also as well. We, I would love to create some kind of 3D printing center at our university where you can create those models for complex cases, not only for liver surgery, yeah. but from all different departments. And it is um, beginning to be very standard in some of the United States centers. I know that uh, Cedar Sinai, Mount Sinai also has their own 3D printing lab uh, by their hospitals. Uh, University of Stanford, their hospital also have a, a rapid prototyping lab just by their hospital. So it is uh, beginning to be a standard for hospitals around the world to have those labs by the hospitals. So every time there is a major surgery coming up, because sometimes you have some rare cases, you have, to, you have some very complex cases where you just need that extra visualization, where you can't really imagine everything that's happening on the uh, two-dimensional computed tomography scan or MRI scan, because we are, all, of course, not limited to CT scans. We can take all, all sorts of medical imaging. We can take MRI, we can take NGO, we can take uh, even ultrasonography. 
So the our abilities to create those models are really limitless yeah. for, when it comes to medical imaging. And we all, only need the feedback from surgeons, from other doctors, and we need them to tell us what is the most important part they want to visualize us. Because we, of course, we are able to print whole body of human, but we don't really need that. So we need to be told which part is more, most important, how they want to see it, if they want the model to be sliced in some different parts, of, or if they want it in just one part. And uh, we are looking forward to hear more from our surgeons about the early results, at least at our university. And uh, when I read also other paper papers, uh, results from those papers are also very satisfying and very promising for the future. I think, you know, I mean, if you continue on this path, I mean, this sounds like it should become the standard of care for all surgeries, you know, even basic ones. It seems like it would help regardless, you know, to prepare for it uh, before you do it, to feel the dimensions, to know the dimensions. I mean, it may even at some point go as far as like a mock-up um, model of the, um, not only the organ, for instance, but the skin around it, and they could do a mock surgery. Right on it, you know, and feel things and, you know, so I think it's a great thing that you're doing. That's really fascinating. And, and so very important. Thank you. And uh, just to follow up on your point, it is true. And we would love to do those for just standard surgeries. Uh, however, right now, the thing that limits us from creating those models for everyday surgeries is that we need some time to create those models. As I said before, the printing thing takes time and the silicone pouring it in and waiting uh, for it to, to sit in, it takes a few days. So when we need that model for, let's say, emergency surgery, we can't really use 3D printing yet. But of course, yeah. that's uh, limited due to uh, 3D printing technology. Uh, but there are some of other technologies that offer a great solutions for that. We you could take a look at all, let's say, virtual reality. You can just use mm -hmm. the segmentation and not 3D print the model, but you can just uh, use the glasses. Of course, you won't have the physical model, so you won't have all the advantages that come with physical model. You won't be able to touch it. But when you have the emergency surgery, you still can see a uh, model in three dimensions. You still can see every structure as you like, uh, and you can have it in in a matter of minutes or hours. So you have to choose between all those uh, types of technology that make you able to uh, implement new technologies in medicine, and we have to choose where we need a certain type of new technology. So 3D printing is definitely a great tool right now, but not for, uh, not for every surgery, not for every case. And uh, when we have the surgeon or doctor uh, tell us that they have some specific case, we have to think about will 3D printing will be the best choice for this case? Or should we look into something different like virtual reality? Very good. Okay. Um, any other questions that uh, you wanted to cover that we missed? I think we covered uh, all the, questions, all the uh, aspects right now. So we are still very early in our project, so uh, I'll be happy to follow up in a few months and tell you whether it had some significant impact on our treatment process, and I hope it will. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, if listeners want to contact you, you know, they say, hey, man, can you print me a heart or something? Or if they just want to, you know, find out more about what you're doing and, and interact with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? 
Uh, I think you could just Google my first name and last name. You can contact, contact me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Jan Gitowski. It's my first and last name. And uh, possibly just contact me on Twitter, and I'd be happy to talk with you about 3D printing. Okay, Jim. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. You're doing great work, and I really appreciate you taking the time here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Hold on one second. Let me get the uh, recording paused, okay? You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 